What is a thorn in my flesh? We might think of difficult people, a chronic illness, vocal opposition, a disability, bureaucrats who are in your way. All sorts of long-term problems might be called a thorn in your flesh. Ever since the curse was pronounced in Eden, thorns have tormented us. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord pronounces, Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Through painful toil you will eat the food from it all the days of your life, and it will pr produce thorns and thistles for you. Do you notice that word, for you? Thorns are for you, says the Lord, like razor wire pointed at man. The thorns are directed at us. They are designed to make life painful for us. The world is rigged for frustration and the thorns press into our flesh. Let's think about thorns in the Bible for a second. Uh, thorns in your side are spoken of in Numbers and Judges as a euphemism for foreign enemies. According to Song of Songs, Israel sits among the surrounding nations like a lily among thorns. Uh, but Israel, in its unfaithfulness, uh, becomes more like the worthless nations that surround it. So according to Isaiah chapter 5, it, it is a vine that starts to produce thorns. In the end, thorns are good for nothing. They will be burned up. Yet in the ultimate act of redemption, Christ wears thorns as a crown in order to exhaust the curse in himself. And according to Isaiah chapter 55, his resurrection future will be a time when thorns and briars are replaced by fruitful trees. With this background, we come to our phrase for today. Paul is writing uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and here he continues his subversion of the boasting that is carried, uh, carried on by the false apostles. Where the false apostles boasted in their strength, Paul boasts in his weaknesses where they recount their fabulous spiritual experiences, Paul is remarkably circumspect about his own. Yet he does allow himself one oblique reference to himself uh, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, doubtless Paul does refer to himself here, but he, distance him, he distances himself from this experience so much that he, uh, he recounts it really in the third person. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ, it's Paul, obviously. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, he was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Many have speculated about what this thorn might have been for Paul. Perhaps it was a physical infirmity, specifically his eyes. If you have a look at Galatians 4 and at Numbers 33, those two things might add up to you thinking that uh, it was an eye complaint. Uh, 
Perhaps the thorn in Paul's flesh was a particular person or a particular sect, um, just because of the way that the scriptures describe human enemies as thorns in your side. Perhaps it was a particularly strong or enduring spiritual attack. Um, Notice how Paul calls this thorn in his flesh a messenger of Satan. But whatever it was, Paul was not able to free himself from it. In fact, no matter how he begged Jesus, Jesus would not remove it. I wonder if our theology of suffering can handle this. Are we able to cope with the fact that often Jesus does not remove thorns which torment us? He could remove them, but often he chooses not to. Sometimes people quote from Isaiah chapter 53, you know, by his wounds we are healed. And they say, right, all healing was purchased at the cross, therefore all healing is available now. We just need to believe for it. But of course that's not right, is it? It is true that Christ's cross and resurrection purchased all healing. But think about it. Christ's cross and resurrection purchased a deathless eternity. But we're all still going to die, right? We don't enjoy all the things that that Jesus paid for on the cross yet. And Jesus is not committed to prolonging this old world, the cursed creation doomed in Adam. Jesus is committed to putting that to death and raising up a healed world on the other side of the grave. Sometimes Jesus may choose to heal as a token of that new creation life. And we say hallelujah when it happens. But that's not his ultimate commitment for this perishing age. Jesus will not remove all our suffering, and he will not continue to prolong our old lives in these Adamic bodies. Praise God for that. Our hope does not lie in many healings and many deliverances now. Our hope is not for a present kind of papering over the cracks. Our hope lies in a cosmic redemption when the thorns will be replaced by fir trees, Isaiah 55 verse 13. In the meantime, thorns will buffet us. And we should pray, as Paul does, for deliverance from them. Ask and seek and knock for such healing. But no matter what Christ's answer to you is, here is the heart of his word to you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. Jesus says to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus allows this suffering so that Paul does not go to the world with a miracle to show them, but with an enduring hope to show them in the midst of suffering. Not a remarkable show of divine power, not the, not the kind of power that teleports him out of suffering, but the power that sustains Paul through suffering. That's what he takes out to the world. Because Christ's strength, Christ's power, is a cross-shaped power. And that is what Paul bears to the world. Not many healings, but the Christ who can sustain us through all our thorns. So then Paul concludes from verse 9, But Christ said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Mm